Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. So uh, I'll, I'll let you guys in on a little, little secret about my sermon writing. There's one part of my sermon writing that I find the hardest and that I actually wait to the very, very last to do because I just, I just can't come up with something. I can't make it nice and compact. And it, it's actually this, the introduction. It's, every time I'm just like, I don't, I don't know how to start. I, uh, and as I'm, as I'm learning um, and reading things and people giving me feedback, is, is they say, man, you got to start off, get people interested. Start off with some kind of hook, a story. Captivate their attention. You know, get personable. Pastor Greg is so good at this. He just, pay attention. Next couple of weeks before his sabbatical, pay attention. He starts off really strong with a good story, a good antidote, right? Talks about a Scottish heritage or that group of Christians who thought Jesus was coming back and sold all their stuff to do advertising. Evangelism, not advertising. <laughs> Woo! Evangelism via advertising. There you go, fixed it. Me, on the other hand, the introductions are hard for me. I just don't do the stories and illustrations connecting them to the main point. I just don't do that very well. I just want to jump to the meat. I want to jump to the stuff that I've been thinking about. I want to jump to the stuff that I'm excited about. I want to get into the the nitty-gritty of stuff. And and in 1 Timothy, I'm not alone. Paul, the the book we're, we're looking at, 1 Timothy, Paul does the same thing. He actually does away with his, his regular greetings filled with thanksgiving as, as majority of his other epistles start. He just says like, hey, yep, it's me, grace and peace to you. And then he just like jumps right in and gets down to business because there is a lot of stuff that he wants to tell Timothy in this book. Timothy, who Paul is writing to, He's been sent to Ephesus to deal with some issues going on in the church there, namely false teaching. And, and Timothy, uh, Paul says this right off the bat in Timothy 1.3. I urge you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. And so it's easy to take this letter and simply read it as a church manual, you know, for the roles of women, for elder and deacon requirements, how the church should handle widows, how the church should handle false teachers— But Paul himself tells us what the purpose of his instruction is. And it's not for step-by-step how to deal with church stuff, actually. He says in in 1 Timothy 1.5 that the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, clear conscience, and genuine faith. So actually, if we step away from all the specific how-to that is, you know, first easily apparent— we get a different picture. We get a picture of how Paul is encouraging and directing Timothy in how to be filled and stay filled with love. And actually, it comes down to be Jesus-centered in all things. 
And he's telling Timothy this in a time when it was hard, when it was culturally chaotic. I mean, you read Timothy, and, and the reason why Paul, Paul is, is directing and giving direction seems to imply because there was a lot of stuff going on in that church that was kind of chaotic. We also know a little bit about the culture of Ephesus, that it was a pretty culturally chaotic place as well. So Paul is writing to Timothy in a difficult situation when it's culturally chaotic. Does that sound familiar? Culturally chaotic? I don't know, man, for you, I don't know how it is for you guys, but for me, these days, both within, you know, kind of church culture and the wider culture, it feels culturally chaotic. That there's a lot of stuff and it's, it, there's hard places people are, are walking into and, and tensions and a sense of like, what are we doing? But in the same way that Paul encourages Timothy, we can also take these encouragements for ourselves as we're in this place that's new and difficult, when things feel really up in the air, we can take these encouragements from Paul of how to orientate ourselves to be filled with love. And the orientation looks like Jesus-centered identity, Jesus-centered focus, and Jesus-centered relationships. And right now, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pause that as I was, um, as I was worshiping here, this morning. It was, it was just a sense that I just need to take some time and declare the lordship of Jesus over, over this place. And so right now, I just declare that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of this church. Jesus is Lord of this service. Jesus is Lord of our worship. Jesus is Lord of my sermon and whatever impact it has. I just declare Jesus is Lord here. And I just say in the name of Jesus, no to control. I say no to fear of man. I say no to strife, division, and envy in the name of Jesus. Back to the regular programming. <laughs> uh, so the first thing I said was that Paul encourages Timothy to have a Jesus-centered identity. And actually, this, this or exhortation may not be as obvious in 1 Timothy as some of his other letters. In some of his other letters, Paul is very direct about identity in Christ. This one isn't as obvious, but the encouragement for Timothy to keep his identity centered on Jesus is still present. So Paul starts right off the bat giving instructions, right? Which, remember, the purpose is to be filled with love. And he starts this by reminding Timothy of the prophecies made about him. 118 says, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, so that, inspired and aided by them, you may fight the good fight. So prophecies are who God has made you to be and what he's calling you to do. So in this, Paul is saying, man, before you get to all the nitty-gritties, before you, you know, figure out what you're going to do, Remember, be aided and inspired by things that God has said about you and said he, you're going to do. And as uh, I was preparing for this, it, the, the thought just kept coming to me really strong that those that have had prophecy spoken over you, now's the time to take time to remember them. Look back on what has been prophesied over you. 
Remember what Jesus has said about you and your calling? That some of those prophecies that you received that seemed really weird or like just didn't make sense or was like, oh, that's nice. They're for now. Now is the time to pull those out. Now is the time to remember those. Now is the time to ask Jesus, what do those mean for now? And so, the prophecies. Who God called Timothy to be and what was he calling him to do? Paul is saying, remember this. Remember these. Paul also talks about how our identity, the focus isn't our age or other factors, but, but it's Jesus. And he, he calls Timothy according to his identity in Jesus. In 6.11, it says, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. And so that's for us today, for all of us, right? You, Joan, are a woman of God. You, Corny, are a man of God. You, Esther, are a woman of God. These are our, this is our identity. And Paul isn't ignoring, you know, the other factors here, but he's saying this is the thing. And, and when we apply this and we look what it means to us, it's that Jesus actually doesn't care about the particular factors that our culture does. Our culture, our culture has different, you know, factors that how to determine whether you matter or whether you should have a voice or not or whether you can make a difference. Jesus actually doesn't care about those things. And Paul reminds Timothy of that in 4.12. He says, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. How often do we take ourselves out of the game, of the fight, as, as Paul referred to it earlier? Or think less of ourselves because of different factors, which actually aren't any of the factors that Jesus consider. I know I do this all the time. Man, especially as I've been um, stepping in this, into this uh, pastoral role, there's been times that I've gotten caught up in the, what's the proper pastor material type? Right? And it's like, oh man, I'm too direct. I'm too direct. You know, I don't, I'm not warm and relational enough. I'm not good pastor material. The way I present myself doesn't come across as, as always the most um, compassionate, endearing type of person. I just, I just can't be that. And so, man, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? And I'm getting all swirly and, and chaotic in my thinking. But, oh man, when I get centered back on Jesus and his voice, when I break agreement with the lie that there's certain types of people that can only do certain things, what I hear is that, oh, I'm a, I'm a passionate, intuitive shepherd. And I have been called to serve this congregation for such a time as this. And oh man, that chaotic thinking, that unsettled identity questions, it settles into a place of love. That I, that I am loved, 
and that I have love to give. And so the exhortation for today is that when we feel the pressure that we aren't that type of person, whatever that type may be, or we hear in our heads, who do you think you are? Pause. Breathe. Turn to Jesus and ask, who do you say I am? Because as we're centered on Jesus in our identity, we can be rooted, we can be grounded while everything else feels chaotic. And then we have the ability from our Jesus-centered identity to be Jesus-centered focused. And so in 1 Timothy, um, Paul talks a lot about false teachers and how Timothy and the elders of the church need to be different that they need to be Jesus-centered and focus. And so I'm just going to go through some of the characteristics, as, as Paul says in 1 Timothy, what false teachers look like. And here's the thing. The false teachers, um, as I look through commentaries, the commentaries agree. They're not talking about... Paul is not talking about false teachers in, in different churches in Ephesus. He's talking about false teaching that is occurring within the church there at Ephesus. And so as I go through these characteristics, don't listen for others. Don't, don't think in your head, okay, I'm going to think about this person that maybe I don't agree with and see how many of the boxes they check off. No, no, no. Listen for yourself. Are any of these places where maybe you get, you get pulled into? And just a side note here, I am seeing way too much time, especially on YouTube, devoted to the calling out of false teachers. Man, we, we love labeling those with different ideas of what it means to follow Jesus wholeheartedly as false teachers. And that's actually problematic. Don't get me wrong, there are false teachers out there. Not everybody who claims to, to love and follow Jesus is is teaching things that are agreeing with the gospel and the Bible. However, I think we're really quick to label. And while our church believes that the Bible is inerrant as originally given, it's important that we also must not see our personal interpretations as inerrant. Oh man, we need to be fully convinced Right? We, we need to be grounded in what we believe. However, if we have placed our interpretation and the Bible together as an errant, we've actually backed ourselves in a corner and are left with no choice but to label those who have a different interpretation as false teachers. Because we've, we see and we've merged the Bible and our interpretation as the same thing. And they just aren't. And so, please, please be very careful of labeling people as false teachers, or calling them out, or spending, spending um, a lot of time watching videos that dissect what one person has said. I think Jesus is grieved sometimes that we call people false teachers when someone is just trying to follow and love Jesus as best as they can. 
So back to the false teacher characteristics. And again, a reminder, we're not listening for other people so we can check mark. We're listening for ourselves. Where are we maybe pulled in some of these directions? So the first thing that Paul talks about is, is that these false teachers in the, in the church, they're focused on genealogy and, and arguments and myths that they're, baking, they're making big deal. They're making a big deal out of the peripherals. And that there seems to be a lot of talk, little action. Right? In, in 1 Timothy 1.4, it says, Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculation, which don't help people live a life of faith in God. Another thing Paul says is that, is that these people that were engaging in false teaching, they were in it for the money, in it for the prestige, in for what they could get out of it. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Another characteristic is, is that they're given to strife and, and quarreling. And Paul warns Timothy against this. It says, don't waste your time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. But the biggest error of these false teachers is the abandonment of Christ, is the abandonment of the gospel. And Paul talks about this in, in 1 Timothy 6. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over meanings of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicion. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their back on the truth. And as, as I was looking at some of commentaries and reading, you know, what people have devoted their lives to, so they have good insights, more than, more than I have the capacity for right now. But what all the commentaries agree is that Paul's biggest concern, apart from, you know, the abandonment of the gospel, was also that they were bringing the gospel into disreputation with outsiders. That all of this, this chaos and it, within the church, with all this talking and arguing and, and talking about genealogies and myths and what, was that people on the outside, it was causing them to look at the gospel and think, uh, I don't think I want that, if that's what that means. Man, are we engaging in anything that could possibly be bringing disreputation to the gospel? When we get overly focused on the peripherals, not saying the peripherals don't matter, but when we get overly focused on the peripherals, when we devote our energy and time into meaningless chatter, when we argue simply for the sake of arguments, we're actually getting pulled into an area that Paul warns against, and perhaps even bringing the gospel into disreputation with outsiders. And I know for me, man, when it feels chaotic in life, I, I, I tend to do some of these things. I tend to double down, focus on the small, containable, controllable aspects in my life. Discussions, arguments, 
binary thinking, things that give me a sense of control and power as a way to manage the chaos that I feel. Oh, but a Jesus-centered focus looks different. It's not about controlling. It's not about dominating. It's not about trying to prove anything. A Jesus-centered focus involves surrender. It involves being okay with the unknown. It involves risky actions. A Jesus-centered focus involves sacrifice, turning to Jesus and surrendering to be filled with love. And so the exhortation for us today is that in the hard, difficult places, the places that feel chaotic and swirly, don't get pulled off course. Don't get drawn into arguments and myths and and useless talk. Instead, keep your eyes on Jesus and his gospel, which is the salvation, healing, and deliverance made possible by his death and resurrection. All done because he loves So Paul has, has encouraged Timothy to keep a Jesus-centered identity and a Jesus-centered focus. And finally, he encourages Timothy to have Jesus-centered relationships. As we read through 1 Timothy, we see that the church at Ephesus was having issues, hence the reason why Paul told Timothy to stay there. And it seems like there was issues going on with various different groups seems to imply there's some problem with uh, women in the church, some problem with young widows and elders and false teachers. There's a lot going on in the different groups. And Paul encourages Timothy to treat members of his church like family. 1 Timothy 5, 1-2 says, Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as your own father. Talk to younger men as you would your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. And so relationships within the church look different when Jesus is at the center. And we see this. Jesus himself talks about this in Mark 3, 33 to 35, when Jesus' mom and and brothers have come and said, hey, we want to spend time with you and Jesus with all his followers, and And Jesus says, no, 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 go and tell my family this. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. And then the author of Hebrews also refers to this Jesus-centered family of God. Hebrews 2.11. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. This is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. So God's church is also the family of God. Jesus is our elder brother and God is our father. And here's the thing. That means there is no option to be an only child in the family of God. I think, I think sometimes we can kind of get it in our head where it's like, oh man, it's just me and Jesus and eh, everyone else is kind of optional. It's, it's not. They're not. We're not. Relationships in the church are not disposable. They're not expendable. They're here to stay 
And as it says in John 15, that they are to be categorized by love. You accept Jesus into your life, the family of God comes with. All believers are a part of the family of God. And I think our Western civilization is, is, holds highly individualism. Individualistic is, is an important value of ours. And I think um, some of that has gotten into our mentality of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Don't get me wrong. A personal relationship with Jesus is essential. And it can't be done apart from community. It's in community where we can be strengthened and developed and matured. And so what I find so fascinating is that this encouragement of seeing believers as family and treating them as such is actually a push against how our brains naturally categorize and work in societal groups. So there's been a lot of studies done around groupthink and a lot of studies um, done around in social psychology of, well, why do we have so many like groups and, and characterizes and, and stereotypes? Like, what, what is going on? And what's fascinating is some of these, um, what these findings say. So the reality is we categorize to save space in our brain. We just do that. And we categorize people in the same way to save mental capacity. And what we do is, is we create in-groups and out-groups. Here's the thing. Obviously, we're always in the in-group. It, it just is. And oh man, in Christianity, this also happens. We create the right Christians and the wrong Christians. And clearly, whatever I am is the right Christian, and whatever is not me is the wrong Christian. And it's the same for all of us, is whatever we've decided we are is the right type, and, and those that are kind of opposite of us, well, those are the wrong type. And then, this is what we do, and this is kind of, this is done both in church settings as well as, as the larger society, is what we do is we take the out-groups, so whatever we've decided is out, we criticize and demonize that out-group to cement our in-group solidarity, which is messed up, but we do it. And so what does this look like? It looks like, oh, those conservative Christians are bigoted and only care about control and maintaining power and white supremacy. Or it looks like, those progressive Christians are watering down the Bible and the gospel. They won't stand up for what's right. Those strong, reformed Christians are stick in the mug, lack Holy Spirit and vibrancy, all about legalism. Or those charismatic Christians are crazy. They don't know their Bible and they don't care to. Whatever we aren't, we put judgment and accusation and criticism on the outgroup, because then that because then that firms up the fact that we're squarely in the right type of Christian. What else happens is that we strongly identify with it, with whatever in group is in front of us, and so what happens is we tend to put focus on the small in group and out groups, because that's what we're exposed to, 
And in COVID, our in-groups have gotten really small because it, a lot of the time, we're not, we haven't been able to meet like this. And so in COVID, the in-group m- might be your small group and the out-group are, you know, the rest of the, the people. Or it could be your, your online community is the in-group. That, that that's what you identify with. Or it could be, you know, this small group of friends believe this, this is the in-group, and everyone else, everyone else is X, Y, and Z. However, it's not the way Jesus is calling us to live in this church. It isn't about the small, tiny little in-groups that we're in, you're out, we're in, you No. If we keep Jesus-centered relationships at the forefront, in that we are all a part of the family of God, then the family of God becomes the in-group. We're not broken down into the little silos, echo chambers. But we are all a part of the family of God. And that increases unity, and that increases our capacity to receive and give love. And one simple way, one simple way we can do this and orientate ourselves to Jesus-centered relationships is changing our language. So when we're talking about other Christians, particularly those that we see differently then, instead of using language of us and them, use we. So instead of saying, man, I can't believe how those Christians are reacting to the new restrictions— Say instead, man, I can't believe how we're reacting to the new restrictions. You see what that does? It takes it from those people who are over there, and I'm going to make sure I'm as far away from them as I can get, to acknowledging we, we're all in the family of God. It's a lot harder to accuse, blame, criticize when we've included ourselves in the group. And I just want to make it clear, I'm not saying that theological differences don't matter. I'm not saying that we all just say, yes, we won't have discussions about anything. We're all okay. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is in those theological differences, in those conversations, in those, we, how we follow Jesus is looking different, that we keep Jesus-centered relationships at the top that we are all a part of the family of God. And so the the exhortation for us today is that in the unfamiliar, new, difficult places is not, not to push people away. Not to hunker down in our small little in groups, picking and choosing who's in, who's out. These we like, these we don't like. Oh, but fight. Fight to keep the whole family of God as the in-group, which allows us to be filled with love, experience love, and give love in a new capacity. So Paul concludes this personal letter with a charge to Timothy to guard what God has entrusted to you. And I will end my sermon with the same encouragement. That in the hard places of tension, of cultural chaos and struggles, in feeling tossed and turned, adrift and uprooted, 
guard your Jesus-centered identity. Guard your Jesus-centered focus. And guard your Jesus-centered relationships. And remember the why behind this whole Jesus-centered stuff. It's to be filled with love. Then go in love. You guys can grab a seat. You may not have seen it up on the screen, but we had the invitation at the bottom of the screen if you had any questions on the sermon to text those questions in. I think we've gotten a couple of questions uh, sent in to us. Um, I want to say this. Uh, later on today or this week, what I encourage you to do is to read through, if you haven't read through 1 Timothy yet, read through 1 Timothy. It's action-packed. It is almost as action-packed as this sermon was this morning. Wasn't that an amazing sermon? What a fantastic sermon, I think. Really well done. Really well done. So read 1 Timothy, but then watch this sermon again, because there is so much good stuff in this, so much good stuff that was so pointed and so important. So make sure that you get a look at that, because it was really, really fantastic, I thought. Uh, but why don't we toss uh, our first question up there for today? And I know you just got done preaching, so I, I'm fine with taking some of the questions too, um, but I, some of these questions, I saw some of them already, and I think that they're ones that you might be able to answer for us today, Amy. So um, what does Paul mean by myths, spiritual pedigree for the false teachers? Okay. Yeah. Um, so specifically is uh, what, what scholars think is, is the the Hellenistic Jews. So the ones that were kind of outside of Jerusalem and what we typically think of, but the ones that had kind of kind of spread is that they, there was a whole nother aspect to um, their beliefs, that it wasn't just about the Torah and the law and the prophets, but there was all these other um, rabbinical teaching and mythologies and ways of, of you know, relating yourself back to this rabbi and that rabbi that what the scholars think is that Paul was pointing out like that the Hellenistic Jews that were coming into the church at Ephesus, that they were bringing all that in and that they were still holding on to those things as that they meant something, that they were significant, that they gave them a hierarchy and importance. But the problem is, is when you're bringing a bunch of different ones that hold different things and you're bringing them all into one church, now there's infighting and bickering because whose spiritual pedigree matters. Mm -hmm. So that's what scholars uh, think what was mm -hmm. Paul was referring to. And you mentioned this uh, as you were preaching about um, the authority of Scripture, mm -hmm. which is paramount, and then our interpretation, which we sometimes put on the same level. We say that Scripture is without error, and then sometimes we say our interpretation of Scripture is without error. And that's what that Hellenistic Jewish um, look at. The rabbis would do that. So all the rabbis through the years would take a piece of Scripture that is without error, and they would put their interpretation on it, and then people would live by that interpretation. And they would say, um, I follow Rabbi so-and-so. Mm -hmm. um, same as, as other people were saying, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, I follow Peter. The yeah. same argument, right? Um, not understanding that these people were having an, inter an, an interpretation of Scripture, which can be flawed, yep. right? Because it comes from flawed people. So it fits in really perfectly. So yeah, well done on that even. So again, that's one of the main points I think you, sh you should have taken out of this message today uh, to lay it out for you really clearly. 
um, just this idea of the, the authority of Scripture, inerrant for sure, but our interpretation needs to be held a little bit loosely as we look at this, because we are still learning, we're still growing, and we're flawed, right? So great, great point. Awesome. What's our next question there? So how do we figure out what are meaningful topics and what are useless topics? What avenues should someone take when they disagree with certain things taught at a church? Awesome. I mean, I started off with the last one, so if we're going back and forth, then you you would be the starter of this one. So I love, so here's another point you should have taken out of this sermon, okay? And here, it's, it's so good. You have to listen to this sermon again later because it just, there were just so many really, really powerful points in there. It was like three sermons in one, for sure. It really was. It really I was, was debating which way to go. And then I was like, you know what? I'm sure we can just combine it all. When, when we only give Pastor Amy one sermon a month to preach, she throws a lot of stuff in there. Really fantastic. Um, but here, so one of the things she talked about, and this is what Paul starts off First Timothy uh, talking about is that is this love that you be filled with love have you ever heard in scripture before talk about love of course you have because that's like the main point of scripture is that we would be people that were are filled with love and secondly that we'd be people that would would really well stick to the gospel that we'd be able to proclaim the gospel really well so those are two main pillars of all of christianity is love and the gospel message. And the gospel, and, and you can't have the two without each other. You can't. Okay? You can't present the gospel without love because that just comes across horribly. And you, and you can't have love without a, the truth of the gospel message. So when Christ comes in both love and truth, that's what we're supposed to be coming in. And so how do we figure out what are meaningful topics? It's the love and the truth of the gospel. Those are the meaningful topics. That's the foundation of Christianity. That's it love and the gospel message. If we just stuck to that, we would be on fire. We'd be on fire. It'd be amazing in a good way, right? Not like on the blazing hell fire, but on fire, right? So you guys can laugh at that. I think that's funny. Anyway, (laughs) what are useless topics? Well, it's going to be hard to find useless topics, right? Because all topics are potentially important for the season or for the time, okay? So what you need to do is, is this distracting me from the love and the truth of the gospel? Is what I'm going to be talking about or spending my time on or focusing on, is it distracting me from the love and the truth of the gospel? If it is, then it's one of those topics that probably shouldn't be a topic that is of any value, okay? Because the main topics, the main topics are the love of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the main topics. So anything else that distracts or discourages or, or takes us away from that is going to end up being something we should maybe not be spending a lot of time on. However, what have we been talking about through this whole series of epistle stuff? We've been talking about how important community is, yeah. which you talked on again today. Also, how important like, community what is. What have we? Mine went so, blank for a moment. Yes, community. Community is huge. Identity. Yep. And community. These are the things that get hit on every single time in the epistles. Identity and community. So in your small group, feel free to bring up any of the useless topics. Talk about it ad nauseum. Just be able to spend time with it in your small group to say, hey, you know what? I've been pondering this. I've been frustrated by this. I've been stuck here. Let's figure this out together. Because that's a fantastic place for you to work that stuff out. And then the people that you're in community with can say, hey, you know what? You probably need to move on now and get past this because it's distracting you from love and truth 
It's distracting you from those things. So don't feel afraid of asking questions or bringing up topics because that's what the family of God is all about, is being able to talk about the stuff that is on our heart. And maybe you'll find that some of the stuff on your heart needs to kind of get dealt with and put away, or maybe God has placed something in your heart that needs to be pursued or looked after as long as it is continuing to focus on the love and the truth of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So that's how I'd answer that. I don't know if you have anything extra to put in there. And again, I think the how we can figure out the meaningful and useless is the why behind we're engaging with it. So if we're engaging with a conversation because we really want to understand or we want to bring Jesus into the conversation or, or find out what Jesus thinks about it and other people in community, great. If we're bringing up a topic just to like stir the water or just to like make sure I stick it to this person because I know they, then that might be a useless topic. It, I think it really is the why we're engaging with these. Mm. Yeah. Is it yep. love or is it spreading the gospel? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Ties Good. right in. Good. So then, uh, what avenues should someone take when they disagree with certain things taught at, you know what, I'm going to change this from a church to when they disagree with certain things taught at our church. Mm -hmm. Because let's make this really applicable, because I mean, different churches do whatever, different things. What do we do when someone disagrees with something that we have taught here? What I I think is... I think it's your turn. Okay, you're right, it is my turn. (laughs) First thing is, is... Talk to an elder, talk to your small group leader, talk to a pastor. Because sometimes, right, when I'm standing up here saying stuff, we don't have time for, for an hour-long conversation for me to really break down what I mean. So it could be that you do disagree with what we're teaching, or it also could be that maybe you've misunderstood. And so to be able to sit down with, with an elder or a pastor or your small group leader, to sit down and say, hey, this is what I heard. This is what I thought you said. I don't agree with this. Is this actually what you were meaning? And then from there, if it, if it does come down to like, no, I disagree with this, then it's like, do the hard work of figuring out why, right? If you're like, I just disagree with it because I don't like the way it sounds. Okay, again, talk to an elder, talk to a pastor, and be able to walk through to really figure out where the disagreement is. And what's going on? Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think that's that's fantastic. I think in humility, I think that's what we need to do. Oftentimes, we come to conversations with like a shotgun approach. Uh, we're going to make sure the other person agrees with us because that's the only way this argument's going to f- be fixed. Um, I think we need to come with a with in humility, with a posture of learning. Can we learn this together? I mean, we do not have perfect interpretations. We just don't. If you feel like you have a perfect interpretation of Scripture, I think you just need to stop and just realize you don't and get over that, okay? Really. Um, I don't. Pastor Amy doesn't, okay? The, the great men and women, A.W. Tozer, A.B. Simpson, all the people, they don't have a perfect interpretation of Scripture. So we need each other. Iron sharpens iron. We need to be walking this out together. We're in this together. We are the church. We are the church. And so we're in this together to try to learn together. So yeah, coming together in humility and love and being able to have conversation with each other is, a, is an important aspect of this. Yeah. Is that it for questions? Fantastic. Great. Awesome. I think you've got our benediction. I do have a benediction. Awesome. And again, just one more time. Fantastic message. You need to listen to it again. It was really, really fantastic. Good Thank job. Thank you, Pastor Greg. So yeah, as we, as we close this, this service, I just have a, 
a benediction for you. So if you would close your eyes, if you feel comfortable, you can put out your hands in a posture of, of receiving. So today, I bless you to know how deeply, deeply, deeply loved you are by the Father. May you turn to Jesus and hear who he says you are. I bless you in the times of chaos, of tossing and turning, that you would keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Father God, would you continue to teach us how to be a part of your family, to receive your love, and give your love. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments or are just wanting to know more about our church, check out our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com as well as you can find us on Facebook or feel free to email us at office at beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray that today you would know the love and manifest presence of Jesus.